This episode of the Esoteric Order of Roleplayers is brought to you by the generosity of our backers on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash esotericrp to find out how you can become a backer too. We create and broadcast these episodes live on native lands. We acknowledge these are unceded lands, with diverse communities maintaining connections to these places, and recognize their ancestors, their elders, both past and present, and future generations. Learn more by visiting the Native American Rights Fund website at narf.org. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of me, David Larkins, and I'm going where I've never gone before. Flight Control Officer's Log, Stardate 29994.5 Our ship is currently hurtling through some sort of wormhole or subspace dimension, having evaded a hostile unknown alien species that was determined to assimilate us, ship, crew, and all. Where this wormhole leads is anyone's guess but it is having strange effects on our sense of time and space. All right, and uh, with that, we are back for our third Star Trek Captain's Log mission. Welcome back, crew. Uh, and this one is, yeah, largely picking up. It's, it's sort of a sequel. It's not exactly a part two, but definitely a sequel to the preceding mission. A funny thing happened on the way to Omega 10. Um, this one I have chosen to call Visions of Futures Past. How's that for a Star Trek episode title? Um, yeah, because this is, uh, this is our, our trippiest mission yet. I swear, the next mission is going to be grounded, literally. Um, but uh, but yeah, no, this one, I mean, you know, I kind of feel like we've sort of created a unintentional trilogy here, much like Star Trek 2, 3, and 4, the movies. Um, you know, I, I, I kind of feel like we're, we're sort of playing around with some very similar themes here, which, you know, considering that one of Wynn's... Um, uh, experiences in the academy was uh, encountering uh, beings of pure emotion. I believe was what I settled on. Uh, you know, it, it's it's. Um, I guess if this were a TV series, you know, people would say, "Oh, that that's the very philosophical, meditative one. It's very spiritually elevated." <laughs> I hope they would say that. Uh, and indeed, for this mission, I rolled that it would be a spiritual mission. And um, just as a quick recap, we got um, research and transform unknown life form, complication of unexpected attack, um, and uh, we got a city ship on direct 
path towards Earth. And uh, the whole crew is due to have a shared vision. So I um, have given this all some thought. Unlike the other two missions, I feel like all of this kind of uh, fits together much more naturally. And it was really just a question of, um, you know, order of operations, I guess you could say. So I figured it would be fun to just jump right in with some starship combat because, you know, we haven't done that yet. I was talking about that last episode and, um, yeah, I just think it would be fun. So, so just as a quick recap, Kyushu is currently hurtling through a, um, uh, transwarp corridor, which is a, uh, something that the Federation has not yet encountered. And uh, if we recall, that, um, you know, kind of requires uh, special shielding and special uh, equipment to avoid having the uh, wonky space-time effects of a transwarp corridor really mess with you. Um, and I think, uh, I think on Kyushu's initial trip through the corridor, out to the Omicron system, uh, you know, I sort of evoked, yeah, uh, some fancy visual effects of, uh, you know, the crew sort of moving slowly through time, you know, and colors shifting weirdly, and everyone moving in slow motion and so forth. So... Um, that is certainly happening on the flight back. I don't think there's any question of that. And, um, and so, yeah, we're just going to kick off with a little bit of an action scene here as the Borg sphere that was, uh, pursuing Kyushu, um, also popped into the transwarp corridor and is now, uh, going to be engaging in combat inside of this, uh, strange... Bill and Ted style time travel tunnel. <laughs> um, we will not be doing any actual time travel, not just yet, but I do have some thoughts about this. Um, what is it? City ship on direct path toward Earth. Definitely some thoughts indeed. But step one is um, we gotta do some spaceship. Uh, starship combat. So, um, reviewing the rules, I am instructed to determine if uh, a ship, one of the ships, has an upper hand on the other one. Now, considering the state that Kyushu is in at the moment and its crew, specifically, uh, I am going to say that it is uh, highly probable that the Borg Sphere is going to get the drop on Kyushu because. Mostly everyone's just focusing on, you know, literally not coming apart at the seams. Uh, so yeah, so the ship, uh, the, the sphere rather, is going to get the drop on Kyushu. And uh, let's see, what did it say? I believe it said, um, uh, let's see here. Can help determine if that hit caused damage to the ship. Yeah, so the damage is just automatic. Okay, so as I discussed last time, ships have uh, scales. These are just numeric ratings. Kyushu has a scale of four. The sphere has a scale of eight. 
Uh, with every hit, I then determine exactly what kind of damage, what system is hit, basically, and, uh, and then see if that's critical damage. And then, um, basically, once a ship uh, accrues three, three points of critical damage, uh, it is considered defeated in combat. So, um, okay. So let's see here. What do we got? Hits against your starship. All right. Consult the systems hit matrix on page 308. Done. All right. Here we go. All right. An 18. Oh, lovely. Uh, weapons. Weapon system got hit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, um... Let's see here. If your hits are fewer than your starship scale, consult the Generating Ship Damage Probability Matrix, page 309. Uh, uh-huh. The affected system may have received critical damage. If your ship has received several hits greater than or equal to its scale, the affected system receives critical damage as a certainty. Okay. So, all right. Check for critical damage. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, at hits equal scale, critical damage always results. Each hit randomly targets a system, may randomly inflict critical damage to it. Okay. Oh, I see. Okay. Minor to catastrophic ship damage. All right. So we just had a... Um, yeah, they, they changed the name of the probability matrix there. So it's not the generating ship damage probability matrix. Note for folks <laughs> playing along at home. It's the minor to catastrophic ship damage matrix. Fine. All right. Uh, 16. Why am I rolling hot when I really don't need to be rolling hot? That is catastrophic. Critical system destruction, life support failure, ruined hull, repair necessitating, space dock. Uh-huh. All right. And then we're going to roll on the critical damage table. Um, okay. Exposure to space. The damage has exposed sections of the ship's inner hull to space. As the crew works to seal the breaches, all tasks take twice as long to accomplish. All tasks take twice as long to accomplish. Not sure exactly what that means. Um, but looking at the other possibilities on that table, I think we got off relatively well. <laughs> so... But nevertheless, um, critical system destruction. Does that mean my weapons are just knocked out entirely? Uh, that would seem to... Oh, wait a minute. Sorry, I rolled catastrophic, not critical. <laughs> Silly me, the catastrophic damage matrix was on the next page. Critical system destruction. The ship has sustained enough damage that the key system is permanently offline until repaired. Roll 1d20 to generate to determine the system. That's weird. Okay. Um, six. Engines. Alright. <laughs> well, thanks everybody for joining me on uh, Captain's Log. Um... Tune in next week to find out what the hell else I'll be playing. <laughs>
Holy crap. I'm 11 minutes into this fucking mission. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. Okay. All right. So let's let's review this really quick. I mean, I you know, it's pretty obvious what happened, but you know, I just want to let's just go through this. Okay. When you fail a task, your starship receives one hit. Consult the system's hit matrix to learn which system has been impacted. I rolled weapons. If your hits are fewer than your starship's scale, consult the generating ship damage probability matrix, which is not actually called that. The affected system may have received critical damage. If your ship has received... Right, right, right. Blah, blah, blah. Once a system has received critical damage, a section of the ship is unable to function. Crew members need to flee that area. Emergency repairs are required. The section may even need to be sealed off. You cannot attempt any actions that involves use of that system until repairs are completed. When three systems are critically damaged, the vessel can no longer engage in combat. The fight immediately ends, but this does not mean the game is over. Perhaps enemy forces have knocked out your shields and weapons. Are they now beaming their soldiers over to your vessel to fight hand-to-hand -hand with the crew? Resolving combat. At the end of combat, if you have been successful, fill the current Delta mission tracker, blah, blah, blah. Okay. All right. Wow. Okay, so we just got we just got walloped by the sphere. So everyone's like, you know, shifting out of phase. Voices are weirdly distorted. People are barely hanging on to their lunches and um and, you know, then suddenly everything shakes, the lights flicker, you know, huge showers of sparks rain down from the ceiling and from various, you know, computer banks, some some dude gets like launched by a hydraulic ramp, <laughs> you know, carefully concealed behind the bridge, uh, you know, and and everyone else is like flying all over the place. Um. Okay, so there are additional actions. The following actions can be attempted during combat instead of attacking. Okay. So obviously we need to do emergency repairs. Um, you know, Wynn is screaming, Captain, the engines are offline. And uh, Ensign Kehoe, Captain, we have no phasers. We have no photon torpedoes. Our weapons targeting system has been knocked offline. So obviously engines are more important. So we're going to roll structure plus engineering try to get the back online obviously if we fail we'll take more damage so structure plus engineering that's a 13 all right thank god so not only did i succeed but uh generated some momentum there so i am going to spend that momentum and uh generate an advantage and I'm just going to say that not only does that remove the critical damage on the weapons, but it gets the uh, gets the engines up and running again uh, right away. Okay, all right, that wasn't so bad. Felt kind of easy actually, but hmm. All right. Um, okay, so now we can actually try and and do something. Uh, so of course, uh, Captain Galvin says, let him have it. And um, 
So we're gonna return fire, pew, 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 etc. Um, so let's see here. Weapons plus security is our magic number. Uh, of course, the uh, Kyushu, not great. Not great in the weapons department. We need a nine or less. And uh, yeah, that's, that's just a fail. That's a fail. All right, no threat generated, thankfully. All right, now I have to, um, once again, consult the systems hit matrix, discover if we generated critical damage or not. So the system hit matrix tells me that this time our structure, okay, so remember, we I, I don't think the, um, we got the engines back online, weapon system back online. We still have a giant freaking hole in the side of, <laughs> in the side of this ship. So um, yeah, let let's not forget that. But uh, okay, structure, fine, and then, um, and then uh, yeah. See, use these probability matrices to determine what kind of damage your ship takes after sustaining a hit. The system's hit matrix is a quick way to determine which system is adversely affected by damage. The minor to catastrophic ship damage probability matrix allows for more detailed prompts to explain ship damage. Oh, so it was one or the other. That's really unclear. Also, um, how the hell do I... Uh, okay, so it's just interesting because if I'm using the system hit matrix, there's no way to determine if it's critical or not. But if I'm using the minor to catastrophic ship damage, then obviously, yeah, that, that's kind of how we would do that. I feel like we might have lost a table somewhere along the line. The um, generating ship damage probability matrix which is supposed to be on page 309 and is not. I don't know. Who knows? Um, okay, well, I did actually rather enjoy rolling on the minor to catastrophic ship damage table, so we're going to do that instead. Um, yeah, let's do that. Okay, so what did I roll there? I rolled, um, I rolled something that was structure, which is 10 to 17. Sadly, there's not an equivalent. There's an 11 to 15. Um, boy, it is really easy to get critical or catastrophic damage. That's not cool. All right, I rolled critical damage again. Uh, so then we're gonna roll on the critical damage table. Major repair. The ship has suffered serious damage that affects multiple key systems. Until the ship is repaired, it rolls one fewer D20 on all tests. Jesus. All right, so that's another critical. And we're down to 1d20. Whew. Okay. Yeah, we're gonna keep going here. We're gonna keep going. We're gonna, <laughs> down to rolling 1d20. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right, so we're gonna try, we're gonna try repairs again. Um, and that was, uh, that was emergency repairs, structure plus engineering. Okay, 13 or less, single die, a seven. Okay, Whew. all right, so that will remove 
critical to uh, damage. Okay. So the way I'm interpreting this is that it removes the, the critical damage portion. Now, once I get to four, structure four, uh, critical damage is automatic, and I, I get the impression I can't remove that. Although maybe I can. I don't know. Anyway. All right. So that was, uh, yeah, that was the thing. All right. Okay. So we're not doing so hot. So I'm going to try and disengage, and that is engines plus con. This will make this combat an automatic failure, even if we get away. Um, I think it's pretty obvious we're failing regardless. I do like this. It is thematic in the sense that this Borg ship is absolutely kicking our ass. I think that makes sense, and that is a fail. Okay, so now... Needless to say, uh, there's a lot of page flipping here. Um, the, sh the Starship combat section is on page 215, and I'm having to flip back and forth to page 309. Just saying. All right. Moderate damage. Oh, thank God. <laughs> and this is subspace field disabled. The ship is currently unable to maintain a stable warp bubble. The ship is unable to go to warp though its impulse drive is not affected. Okay, well, we don't have to worry about that just yet, but I will make a note of that. Subspace field disabled. Okay. All right, we are one away from starting to take critical damage automatically. Still trying to disengage engines plus con, and that is another fail. Critical damage is sustained. And what system specifically, um, I'm going back to the system hit matrix now, just since it's automatically critical damage. And so that was structure. All right, makes sense. We're just getting torn up here. All right, still trying to disengage. Uh, that's another fail, another critical hit. This time to structure again okay fair enough all right all i need to do is just succeed on this roll and i get away that's all i need to do engines plus con it's not a bad rating 13 or less yeah no that's that's a 16. all right so and that is weapons this time mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. all right so um hmm. <laughs> yeah so just to review um when three systems are critically damaged the vessel can no longer engage in combat the fight immediately ends this does not mean the game is over perhaps the enemy forces have knocked out your shields and weapons are they now beaming their soldiers over to your vessel to fight hand-to-hand -hand with the crew? Okay. We are at a crossroads, people. I have a couple options here. Option A. End the campaign. I said, I said last time, you know... Um, there is no guarantee of success here. Um, I even put doomed down as the Kyushu's uh, trait, 
you know, um, one way or another, this ship was going to fall victim to the Borg. Um, in this in this timeline, in this reality, perhaps the Kyushu disappears while on a deep space uh, navigation mission and is never heard from again. And then when um, the Enterprise D encounters the uh, Borg cube eight years from now or whatever it is, um, they have a much tougher time of it because the Borg have assimilated all this Federation technology. Um, maybe it spells the end of the Enterprise D. Um, you know, it's quite possible. Maybe this is a much grimmer timeline. Um, so that's a possibility. And we have the doomed trait there on that ship. So, I mean, that is, I'm, I'm weighing that one. I am weighing that one. Um, second possibility. The mission note, the, the mission type, or not mission type, but, you know, the um, sort of uh, more specific mission was, uh, it, you know, spiritual entire crew has shared vision. So we could do the it was all a dream situation, but still pivot off that doomed trait in that... As Kyushu is coming out of the transwarp corridor, we suddenly and everything, you know, space-time restores itself. We suddenly realize there was no Borg sphere. It wasn't pursuing us. Yes, it did exist, you know, we did encounter it, but it didn't manage to follow us into the transwarp corridor. There was no actual starship combat that occurred in the transwarp corridor. Rather, because the Kyushu is not properly shielded against the space-time distortions and disruptions that occur while in a transwarp corridor, what the ship was actually experiencing was a shared vision of its own doomed future, of being blasted to smithereens by the Borg at the Battle of Wolf 359. Boom, we did it, everyone. Okay. I talked myself out of ending the campaign. <laughs> Lord, that was brutal. That was absolutely brutal. Alright, so Kyushu pops out of the stable transwarp wormhole located somewhere within the you know, barren stretch of space known as the hollow and the crew, everybody drenched in sweat looks around normal space time has been restored we've got the, the comforting hum of the bridge, you know, in the background but you could hear a pin drop as everyone sort of blinks a few times, maybe pats themselves down uh, Captain Galvin swallows hard and he says uh, Lieutenant Sedino 
where are we? And uh, and wind punches up some navigational coordinates. So first thing we have to do is mark that first scene down as a fail. And how? Wow, good grief. I mean, I, I was I was close to despair there for a minute, folks. I'm not gonna not gonna lie. Um, yeah, I really thought that was it. I really did. So, yeah. All right, when locate us in space and time, of course she does, and we even generate a uh, momentum off of that one. So, Wynn very quickly determines that, um, well, Captain, we seem to be right back where we started before we were pulled into that strange dimensional anomaly. And uh, the captain, who's still pretty pissed off at Wynn for her, um, you know, foolish bravado, um, just nods and says, uh, set a course for the nearest starbase. And, uh, and so Kyushu heads off into uh, back towards Federation space. Um, and we're gonna call that we're gonna call that part of the first scene because that's not really that's not really a scene. Um, yeah, gosh. Okay, so let's review. Let's go back and review here. So we got that shared vision. We got the uh, unexpected attack. Um, okay. All right, so let's go to the probability matrix here because I have some ideas of how the city ship on direct path toward Earth is going to enter into the story. So remember, um, our... Um, theme and whatever the hell <laughs> the thing I don't like um, in terms of their terminologies here let's see here um, mm, 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 mm. our incident and theme uh, we had a double incident so we got research and transform and then the theme was unknown life form. And then, uh, yeah, and then I rolled a city ship on direct path towards Earth for complication, I believe, or something. <laughs> oh, it was the encounter. That's right, it's the encounter that I rolled. So, you know, obviously that's, uh, the city ship is the unknown um, life form. I'm thinking some kind of generation ship I did a little bit of background reading before starting, although not as much as I have in the past, um, uh, in terms of like the history of generation ships in the Star Trek setting. They turned up a couple times in TOS, um, but they're always like alien generation ships, you know? Um, they are, uh, wow, visions of future past. I just realized, yeah, the mission title has uh, taken on additional layers. Um, but the reason I originally chose that title is that I kind of thought, 
you know, what if this is like a generation ship, but it's kind of like, it's kind of like a ghost town, you know, it's a, it's a city ship. So, you know, what if it's like all the people who are on board are dead now? Um, I'm just trying to think of like how to make that into a longer story. Uh, or of course, you know, we could go with the you know, with the classic setup, which is, you know, you have people on this generation ship who are of such a generation uh, removed from the originals that they don't even realize they're on a ship. I believe that was one of the TOS episodes, but I don't mind cribbing. Um, but, you know, this is, this is a job for the probability matrix once we get there, I think. Um, you know, I can roll some other things as well in terms of like alien life forms that might be on this thing and get some ideas as for why it's heading towards earth i mean that was so that was kind of the original thought was like maybe like a planet of the apes kind of situation where this ship actually originally left earth um and is now coming back um you know either because it was programmed to do so or uh, just some kind of weird you know migratory impulse to return from whence you came you know again if, if there's people still alive on the ship you know they might not even understand where they came from what earth is but there's some kind of weird impulse to you know steer the ship back towards earth seems a little essentialist but you know we could play around with it see where that goes um you know or if it is an alien craft i mean if it's some kind of you know uh, city ship from some alien culture uh you know we can kind of figure out okay why are they going to earth now you know the, the sort of obvious one is well they were sent to find a habitable planet that they could colonize and take over. That would be sort of the, yeah, the sort of hostile alien um, approach. Um, or, you know, we could have them be refugees. Um, although, knowing the Federation, I don't think that would really be a problem so that it would have to be complicated in some way i.e. there would be something preventing uh, you know earthlings from taking on the residents of the city ship maybe the city ship itself is inimical to life on earth it's you know highly radioactive or uh, yeah I don't know so anyway I'm just kind of thinking out loud before we get there and however uh, I think the first thing to do is determine when Kyushu gets the call because here's the thing if you recall Kyushu is a um, primarily intended as we as we saw <laughs> in that starship combat Kyushu is intended as a as an exploratory kind of like patrol vessel that's more intended to like, you know, conduct system scans and mapping and planetary, you know, uh, scans or updates, you know, 
It's not a warship. It's not a ship of the line. But it would be dispatched to go check things out and sort of, you know, report back, essentially. And, uh, I mean, that was kind of where we started this whole campaign in that first mission, you know. So I'm thinking the kind of obvious situation here is to send Kyushu, you know, Kyushu gets a call from the local admiral or commodore or whoever who has received word from, like, these monitoring stations on the edge of Federation space, since Kyushu's in that area anyway, of this, like, rather mysterious, massive object that's seemingly on a course towards, you know, humanity's um, solar system. So, you know, and won't you please uh, head out in that direction <laughs> and find find out what's going on. So my main question here for this scene is, uh, does Kyushu get that call before it reaches the nearest starbase or after? So I believe Deep Space 4 was our nearest starbase. So um, doesn't really matter to me, so I'm going to say 50-50. 10 or less, they get the call before they get to Deep Space 4. That's a 12. Okay, so they do get to Deep Space 4. Um, and so probably actually the meeting happens in person. Um, we'll say there's a, there's a Commodore aboard the, the Starbase who uh, meets with Captain Galvin and um, assigns him this mission, you know. Um, fly out to these coordinates, last reported sighting of this uh, strange vessel, and then um, set a course to intercept or catch up with it do some long-range scans do not engage you know um, just determine what it is exactly this thing is and uh, and then you know send your send your reports back um, you know back to deep space for for further analysis so meanwhile what else is going on on deep space 4? Uh, while the Commodore and the Captain are uh, working out details of this mission. I think this is a fantastic opportunity to get in some of these role-playing beats that I've been wanting to um, explore for the last uh, few sessions. So, with the caveat that I have never watched Deep Space Nine... <laughs> And I don't have any actual idea of what life is like aboard one of these deep space stations, what the interiors look like, or any of that kind of stuff. We're just going to be flying blind. I'm just going to be crashing ahead here. Your Star Trek will vary. Also, you know, I'm sure that these deep space stations are built to some level of a common plan, but I'm sure they're all unique in their own ways as well, much like how uh, starships, you know, can vary um, in minor and significant ways. So, so yeah, I'm just going to riff, I'm just going to ramble, <laughs> and, um, and we'll just kind of see what's, what's up. So, uh, one of the fun things we've got on here is uh, we've got some downtime matrixes in, in the book. So I'm going to just uh, kind of 
roll a on a couple of these, I think, just to just to get some ideas of things I could throw in. Um, okay. And all right. And uh, that one, not so much. Um, let's see. Okay, so we've got got that, we've got that, and then we've got that. Okay. I just need to look something up briefly, so I'm going to pause the recording now. Okay, so I think scene two, um, I mean, you know, we, we might have a little, like, uh, teaser shot of, uh, of uh, Captain Galvin and the Commodore uh, walking down one of the corridors of the station on the way to the Commodore's office, uh, deep in, in discussion, but then, you know, the camera sort of peels off from them and uh, tracks through into a uh, sort of bar and lounge area. And, um, you know, of course, this being a space station, this is uh, a bit more... Um, yeah, a bit more generously appointed, I guess, than even the 10 forward on, uh, on Enterprise. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't have a, a similarly, uh, punny name for it, you know, but, um, um, let's call it, um, hmm, I don't know, I'm, something's coming up, you know, like, like maybe it's like kind of a, kind of a saloon type name, you know, like something to evoke a, uh, an old west saloon, um, maybe like, um, mm, ooh, 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 I, uh, okay, so Des and I watched this crazy movie called Johnny Guitar not too long ago. If you like um, almost like, I would say, <laughs> proto-psychedelic westerns from the 50s. Um, definitely recommend it. Um, let's see here. I'm trying to remember. The, the, the movie centers around a saloon. It might just be called Vienna's, because that's the name of Joan Crawford's character who runs the place. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, it's called Vienna's. All right. So as a little, uh, little ode to Johnny Guitar, the, uh, bar and lounge on Deep Space Four is called Vienna's. And it, it, uh, you know, there, there's really not a lot beyond that to, you know, it's not like themed, <laughs> you know, um, it's got all the, uh, sort of modern appurtenances, you know, but, um. But nevertheless, um, somebody somebody was clever, uh, or it's just a huge coincidence, and um, we just arrived there from you know train of thought, thinking out loud kind of creativity. So uh, we don't know yet. But <laughs> as we enter Vienna's, we can see uh, many of the crew of Kyushu are um, you know in various. Uh, places of repose around the um, very comfortable, sleek, 
um, you know, sort of um, pleasantly um, dimly lit interior of the lounge. Uh, you know, there's of course folks up at the up at the bar, which has the sort of light box effect. You know, with the um, with the translucent, uh, underlit bar top that, you know, kind of dramatically lights everyone up. And um, there's folks in booths, there's folks at tables, and, um, and we've got Wynn engaged in a game of Stratagema. Stratagema. So I had to look that one up. That one was a new one to me, although it is TNG era appropriately enough, so that's cool. Um, so who is Wynn playing against? Hmm, let's see. I have some ideas, but I want to just kind of see. Let's see who we're going to start out with. Um... Okay, let's go down the line, first of all. Okay, is Kerensky there? Let's use the probability matrix. Okay. <laughs> I just saw a matrix for where are you injured, and I misread that as were you injured, and then that just made me think of, but did you die? Okay, so, which could be the motto for Starfleet, really. Um, okay, is Kerensky there? I will say somewhat probable. Um, it's it's possible that um, Galvin wanted her present for these uh, mission high level mission briefings. So uh, twelve or less, Kerensky is there, and we roll twelve. Okay, Kerensky's there. All right, how about our chief engineer Tatha Thorella, our Andro our Andorian. Um, 50-50 on that one. Uh, but yes, Therbella is there. Now, ah, uh, good old Lieutenant Commander Jammer. Recovered, no doubt, from his, um, encounter with the psionic beings. Um, but I'll say it's somewhat improbable that he's there. Oh, but he is. Wow, everyone's showing up. Krisar, Chief of Security, Kation. Um, 50-50 on that one, and yes. <laughs> and uh, Lieutenant Commander Timir, our Vulcan Chief Science Officer. Um, improbable. And no. Okay. And lastly, our Lieutenant the dreamy Harrison Frakes. Um, I want Frakes to be there, so I'm just going to say highly probable. And yes. Alright, so the only one we're really missing from the, you know, from the, the core crew, apart from the captain, is uh, Lieutenant Commander Timir. So be it. Alright, so who is Wynn playing Stretch Jama with? Uh, now, Kerensky is kind of a mentor. Stratagema, as the name implies, is kind of a, uh, a game of, of strategy and planning. So it might be uh, the sort of game that Kerensky wants to, 
you know, use to teach when uh, strategic thinking. So we'll say it is probable that those two are playing. Yes. Okay. So Wynn is playing a game of Stratagema against Kerensky. Now, I want to do some scenes here in Vienna's on Deep Space 4, possibly elsewhere if, if the, uh, you know, if the mood takes us. <laughs> but um, this, is, this is kind of a realm of this format where I feel like it's, it's at its most challenging because I feel a little odd about just like sitting here and kind of like making up an extended dialogue scene, obviously. Um, so one thing I've decided this week is that I'm going to go ahead and make an Obsidian Portal wiki. Um, you know, longtime listeners to the podcast will know I like to use Obsidian Portal to create campaign wikis. It's a nice little organizational tool. It's got a, you know, character section and adventure recaps and, you know, um, general wiki maps, all that. So, um, so I am going to make an Obsidian Portal. It's more for posterity. Uh, once I make it, I'll go back and I'll put the link into the older episodes and continue to link it throughout the remainder of these episodes. It's a way to kind of just catalog the characters on the ship, the ship itself, um, you know, Win as a character, what her values are, how they've changed over time. I'll write brief little synopses for the, you know, for each episode. Uh, probably just type up the, um, the uh, you know, opening and closing logs and the supplemental logs and maybe just add some additional notes, put in a link to the episode proper, you know, very kind of like uh, low low effort, frankly, uh, <laughs> but yeah, not not super demanding, uh, which is fine. This is not a super demanding game as far as the mechanics go. You know, like I can have the Kishu on there and have it just be a very simple write up because that's really what it is. It's very simple, uh, very easy. You know, to write these characters up, even the more detailed ones like Win or the ship. Um, now, having said that, what I might do, might do, is for scenes like this, I might indulge a bit in some fiction, you know, and just write up some dialogue and include it on the wiki. Based on you know, what I come up with here. So, in other words, I'm going to kind of sketch out how I'm viewing these scenes. And if I feel like they would benefit from some more in-depth dialogue, particularly, I'm kind of sensing that there's there might be some interesting places that these conversations could go that I might not feel entirely comfortable just extemporaneously you know, um, narrating even, um, that they would require a bit more thought and a bit more sort of careful wording of things just to make sure I'm doing justice to the characters in terms of who they are, their identities, their backgrounds. But I'm also going to use this as an opportunity to kind of fill in some blanks from the character creation session. 
Um, I still don't really know a whole lot of details above and beyond the sort of vague prompts that I generated for Win in that session. So um, here we go, frankly. Uh, <laughs> so um, yeah, so Kerensky and Sedino are, are sitting there and playing their game of Stratagema. Now, I do want to like game that out, no pun intended, and um, maybe see who wins. Could be fun. Um, so, uh, based on my my quick um, sort of you know two minute crash course on this game and how it works, I'm thinking that it is probably a reason plus command role for win and we'll we'll do it in my my usual style here of you know treating it like a like a personal combat i.e the first person to get to uh three hits inflicts three hits on their opponent you know wins um but i'm going to interject the roles with some of this like kind of um vague dialogue let's just say Okay, so so anyway, Kerensky is looking at Win. Well, here let's let's do the opening roll first. So uh, reason plus command, twelve or less. Hot dang! And in fact, no, that would not be a focus generating roll. I rolled a three and a four. My command is a mere two. Ouch! Um, but that is enough. For a to generate a momentum for win, and it gives win the first advantage. So of course, uh, you know, win is out to an early lead, and Kerensky looks on with a mixture of bemused pride uh, on her face. You know, um, this this audacious young, you know, junior lieutenant. Um, you know, barely, I don't know, three years out of, out of the Starfleet Academy, you know, so, so, um, brash and daring reminds Kerensky of, you know, herself at that age. And, um, and much like herself at that age, she sees Wynn making a lot of, um, a lot of sort of knee-jerk decisions that maybe don't, you know, don't help her cause very much at all. And uh, and so she says to Win, you know, um, you have to be aware that Captain Galvin is pretty furious with you. And when chuckles to herself, she says, um, you know, oh, well, I'm sure it'll be fine. And, uh, and Kerensky says, uh, I don't know about that, kid. I'd uh, start reading up on my JAG protocol if I were you. As uh, another colored brick changes hue to indicate Another victorious move by Wynn. Um, 
So, let's roll again. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, so another success for win. That's two nothing. Um, so we've learned a little bit about Kerensky here. We've learned that uh, she was once herself a very um, reckless young ensign and junior lieutenant. But um, just trying to remind myself what I rolled for her. Charismatic, that's right. But I'm wondering. I'm wondering what her. So there's some other. There's some cool non-player character tables in here. And um, I'm wondering where the conversation turns. We've got. Non-player characters, upbringing, environment. We've got non-player characters, cultural traits. Characters, goals. Characters, tactics. Their federation outlook. Um, let's let's find out where Kerensky's from. Where does she grow up? Um, on an entertainment colony. So she kind of grew up in Space Vegas, basically. Interesting. So I think Kerensky says, uh, I've told you before, Lieutenant, that I see in you a lot of who I was at your age. But I can't really figure you out. I grew up on... Betamax Prime. <laughs> um, didn't you grow up on some, forgive me, backwater colony somewhere out on the fringes of Alpha Quadrant? And Wynn looks a little, looks a little um, uncomfortable. And um, I'm thinking I'm going to challenge her value of seeking to find myself far from home. And um, I think we'll challenge it in a way because, in a, in a sort of a negative way, right? Because I think maybe she doesn't like to talk about it very much. Um, let's see here. Let's remind ourselves what we can do when we challenge a value. Uh, you can either gain momentum or remove threat. You cannot gain momentum if you already possess momentum. Threat removed in this way. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and spend the momentum I have right now to generate a, an advantage, and then I'll decide whether I want to challenge that value or not. Let's go to the random advantage table. Um, interestingly enough, I think I can probably, since we're on a space station, I can probably just roll, and it'll, you know, any old thing should do. Let's see here. Oh, although isn't it a special? It's a mo. It's a. It's 
a different kind of thing. Yeah, uh, momentum spells. That's right. I knew there was like a master matrix there. Okay, so I rolled a nine. Friendly aliens. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Friendly alien encounter. Alright. Offer the use of a ship. An unexpected encounter with friendly aliens, either an old ally or a new acquaintance. Aids with your mission. Okay, I like that. Um, so uh, maybe, so maybe this is not directly occurring in Vienna's, but rather uh, we cut to the Commodore's office as Wynn's, you know, face is kind of lit, lit up by the stratagem of um, uh, game. Um, we cut away to the Commodore's office um, where he is saying. Um, uh, you know, let's see. I'm trying to think of the timeline here. So we're at we're post Klingon War, but not by much. So things are still like kind of um, things are still kind of settling in as far as the Federation Klingon alliance. So our Commodore, who shall remain nameless, um, is saying. Um, I have assurances from my counterpart in the Klingon uh, Imperial Navy, again, sorry for my rank ignorance, um, that they will be sending a ship along to uh, shadow yours and uh, provide any defense or other assistance uh, needed, and, you know, should the need arise. All right, so Klingon ship to accompany Kyushu. Okay, so I will challenge Wynn's value of seeking to find myself far from home. So we will cross that out. And um, <clears throat> so even though she is on the verge of winning this game against Kerensky, I think she... Uh, she stands up and she says, um, Commander, I think I need a drink. And, uh, and she hits a button and uh, concedes the game, you know. And um, so she has generated some momentum for herself, but she's also uh, ended that encounter, uh, that scene rather. And so I'm going to mark that as a fail um, because that was an opportunity for her to open up to her mentor about her backstory. And, um, and instead she uh, heads over to the bar where a, uh, a Vulcan lady who looks um, unmistakably like a middle-aged Joan Crawford is... Uh, you know, standing behind the bar. And she says, um, what can I get for you, young lady? And, uh, you know, Wynne orders up a, um, a spirited mixed drink of some kind. And, um, and as, uh, as our bartender, perhaps the titular Vienna, uh, produces the drink she says um why did you 
concede that game. It appeared that you were winning. And uh, Wynn sort of <laughs> leans back on the bar with two elbows, and if he looks looks over at Kerensky, who, you know, has gotten up and moved on un, unperturbed, you know, she's now sitting with a couple of the other crew and chatting, you know. And she says, um, she says, sometimes, sometimes I, I really feel like, um, I found my home aboard my ship with my crew, fellow crew. And then there are other times where I just feel like I'm still trying to find that home. And Vienna, in the tradition of bartenders across the Star Trek universe, being incredibly wise and always there at the right time to offer some sage advice, says, Perhaps it is not a home you're seeking. Perhaps it is an idea of who you are as a person. And uh, when knocks one knocks back the rest of the drink and says, uh, Perhaps you're right. Sets it down and heads across the lounge towards our uh, chief medical officer, Lieutenant Frakes, um, who is, uh, let's say he's uh, sitting and having a uh, grand old time, laughing it up, chatting with um, uh, Jammer, and uh, Kresar. So Wynn approaches and says, uh, mind if I join you all? And of course they indicate, yes, of course, have a seat. She sits down and um, Frakes says, um, oh yeah, Jammer here was just uh, regaling us with, uh, with some tales of his, uh, his days in the academy, weren't you there? Weren't you there, Sterling? And uh, and Jammer says, "Oh yes, yes. Uh, you know, I mean, I I got into my share of trouble, no doubt about it. And um, and uh, let's see. Uh, I just I've got too many too many different ideas competing here." Um, So I think Frakes looks at Wynn and says, um, and says, I seem to remember something from your files, uh, Lieutenant. Um, didn't you get into some kind of accident um, back at the academy? And, uh, and Wynn says, yeah, I did. It, uh, you know, and she sort of laughs in spite of herself, you know. This she doesn't mind talking about as much. Um, but she says, um, she says, uh, yeah, taught me a thing or two about, um, knowing who, who to trust and, um, you know, when to, when to put your life in somebody else's hands. And, uh, Kresar, who is, um, you know, sipping some kind of, like, uh, milky drink goes, uh, do tell, you know. I don't know what Cations sound like. I've never watched the animated series, but, you know, I'm assuming it's something maybe not unlike Eartha Kitt uh, playing Catwoman. Um, 
and uh, and so Wynne relates this story of of how you know when she was uh, doing some some uh, training on a um, on a model warp core as part of an advanced you know warp engineering course um, her her lab partner um, whose name I shall generate spontaneously as I speak um, but uh, yeah her lab partner um, bungled it you know wasn't paying attention and um, and and when paid the price and says uh, oh that's a perfect name Piers Graydon Piers Graydon ooh Piers um, so yeah Ensign Graydon um he was, uh, yeah, he wasn't paying attention. He'd been out all night, the night before, and um, he slipped up. And uh, Wynn says, I almost paid with my life that day. Um, I just, I remember, I just remember waking up in, in the medical bay and, uh, and, uh, old, uh, yeah, our old old uh, Doc Doc Helsing uh, <laughs> telling me I um, I was lucky to be there that uh, Graydon acted quickly enough, swiftly enough to get me stabilized. But she shakes her head and she says, uh, "I don't know. I don't know if I can really forgive him." And. Um, I think at that point, uh, Jammer says, uh, well, you may yet have an opportunity. And he's looking at the, the, uh, entrance to the saloon and when cranes her neck around and sure enough, there's Piers Graydon sauntering in. And, um, I'm actually going to use my momentum spend on that because, I feel like that's an advantage, in a way. <laughs> it's certainly a, a fun story element, and I think um, I think advantages are meant to be, you know, used to generate fun story elements. So, um, and this might be an opportunity for Wynn to show a little character growth, to uh, you know, to actually, um, you know actually maybe forgive this guy I just remember that I, I had already challenged my resistance is never futile value and now I don't remember if you can only challenge one value per mission or one value per scene or one value per act if it's per scene then I'm okay <laughs> uh, doesn't really Alright, so let's see. How does Wynn feel about this? I think let's see here. It's definitely a command, but is it a control or a presence that we're gonna roll to see how Wynn feels about this whole thing? Alright, let's see here. All right. 
focuses. All right, so command, just to make sure. Command covers leadership, negotiation, coordinating, motivating, personal discipline, resisting coercion. Yeah, perfect. Okay, so presence defines characters by their strength of personality, by their ability to draw attention and command respect. Okay, and then control is characters who are precise, orderly, disciplined, highly coordinated, and who possess well-developed fine motor skills. All right, so let's go with presence, which is good, because that's actually one point higher than my control. Command, like I said, is paltry two, really challenging my command a lot. So I think maybe um, maybe for the next, next milestone, I might boost my command. All right, so 12 or less. Oof. All right. <laughs> One of those was a 19. It's always, you know, like, oh, so close to generating a threat. But the other one was a 5. So I got one success. So didn't generate any momentum. Didn't generate a threat. Got the one success. So our wolf remains calm. Um, yeah, when it's just sort of shrugs and says, um, Oh, interesting. I didn't know he was aboard. And um, I think uh, I think Freak says, um, now let's see here. Ooh, we can go to the probability matrix on this one. Is Piers Graydon serving on Deep Space Four? Has he been assigned to Deep Space Four? Or is he serving on another starship that happens to be docked here as well? So, um, I'll give it a 50-50. I don't really feel like there's a compelling argument in either way. Alright, so he is aboard another starship. Interesting. Now, let's also ask the probability matrix. Is Piers Graydon an ensign? Is he a junior lieutenant, or is he somehow a lieutenant? All right. So, as an is is he an ensign? I will say uh, 50-50 on that one, and that's a no. Is he a junior lieutenant? I would say that's probable. Oh no, that's a no. So that means he's a full lieutenant. Oh no, Wynn's rival outranks her. <laughs> <laughs> oh mercy okay <laughs> oh boy all right so um <laughs> oh lordy okay all right so um yeah all right well <sighs> What's Wynn going to do? What's Piers going to do? Let's figure that one out. Um, is Piers... So Piers is going to see Wynn. Is he going to come over? I'll say somewhat improbable. No, he outranks her. So I'm going to bump that up to 50-50. He is. He is going to come over. So yeah, so you know, Wynne shrugs and just like kind of turns back to face the rest of the, you know, her her bridge crew compatriots, you know, and sort of tries to just act casual and 
get back to, you know, so, um, Lieutenant Commander, you were saying about your time in the Academy, but she can see their eyes are all sort of flicking over, like over her shoulder, and she can sense someone's coming, and he, she hears him say, Sedino, is that you? I thought I recognized you. And so she uh, turns around in her chair, stands up, gives him a ingratiating fake smile, says, Lieutenant Grayson, I had no idea you were here. Graydon, not Grayson. And uh, and he says, uh, oh, well, our ship just, uh, just docked about an hour ago. Um, I heard Kyushu was here, so I thought maybe we, our paths would cross. I'm so glad they did. Um, can I offer you a drink? And Wynn says, oh, no, thank you. I, I'm fine. I was just uh, talking with some of the crew here. And she goes around and introduces everyone, you know. And they're all, you know, like, oh, yes, pleasure to meet you. Pleasure to meet you, you know. And they're all kind of, like, watching. You know, there's a little bit of a tension in the air because they know, you know, I mean, Wynn just kind of ran it down, you know. And um, I think Wynn is kind of sensing that tension. And so she says, um, she turns to Piers and says, well, we should, um, we should really catch up sometime. <laughs> the old blow-off. And... Um, and so I think that will require another presence plus command roll. And since Win is outranked, I'm going to make it difficulty two to succeed. Holy Moses! All right. So not only did I flat out fail, but I generated some threat. Womp womp. Oh boy! It has been ages since we generated any threat. That is it. Okay. So, um, let's see here. Let's go, let's go to the threat board and remind ourselves. So, choose whether to spend it immediately or store it for later. So we can create a complication. Um, okay. Um, or we can increase the difficulty. Next action I attempt requires two successes. Yada yada. All right, so, yeah, ah, okay, I just answered a question I had last session, which was, do you generate momentum on a difficulty two roll, and it says here that you do not, under increased difficulty, page 194, <laughs> good to know, I regret nothing, okay, so, I could... I, I want to I want to hold on to it to to continue to increase the difficulty because I think I think here uh, Lieutenant Graydon pulls rank, so to speak, and um, and insists. Well, um, I believe we have um, a lot of time. Actually, um, our ship is in for some uh, refits, and um, I believe your captain is deep in conversation with the Commodore. Do you have any idea what that may be as he's kind of steering her away from her table? She looks back over her shoulders with a please somebody help me face and everyone just kind of shrugs, you know, like you got it. This is one you're going to have to fight yourself, kid. 
So um, let's let's find out a little bit about Piers Graydon. I'm going to roll his archetype here. I get a 12. Oh, he's a fellow pilot. Interesting. So he and Wynn both enjoy... They both have a, a high con role or con uh, discipline and uh, they both enjoy piloting. What is his cultural trait? A 17. Purity? Ew. <laughs> what does that mean? And what are his goals? Um, gain scientific knowledge. Interesting. So he would no doubt be interested to hear about this city ship. And what are his tactics? How far will the NPC go to accomplish their goals? How will the character try to accomplish their goals? Uh, extortion. Interesting. So, so this is more like this is a specific thing. Like he he's trying to gain a specific type of scientific knowledge, and he's willing to use extortion to do so. Interesting. I'm not sure if that will have a direct impact on this particular uh, scene, but um, yeah, we'll we'll just have to see. So. Um, So yeah, so I think he's gonna he's gonna try and hmm. Actually, let's let's use it. Let's let's do that. So he, um, you know, he sits Wynn down in a booth, a little two-person booth, and, and says, um, he says, I I heard that it's uh, has to do with some kind of alien vessel. Um, you know, Sedino, I I've always been a little envious of your posting on Kyushu. It's got such a high-tech sensor array and um, some of the most advanced uh, data gathering um, apparatus. Uh, the uh, the things you find out on that on that ship, I'm sure, are are uh, worth more than their weight in gold. Uh, of course, Wynn doesn't know anything about the uh, mission briefing that Galvin is getting at the moment, but, you know, this is um, <laughs> not long after their ship just returned from a journey through a heretofore unknown part of space-time, encountering a heretofore unknown alien species of major what-the-fuck proportions, and I'm sure Wynne is quite tempted to try and get one up on her rival by bragging a bit about all of this. So we're going to do a control plus command roll. This is one of Wynne's worst possible rolls. Uh, this is an 11 or less. I'm going to spend that threat and make this a difficulty two. And no, I only got one success, so it's as good as a failure. And so Wynne ends up spilling the beans about her encounter, the Kyushu's encounter with the Borg and the Transwarp Corridor and the whole nine yards. And, um, and so that is another fail. We've had three failed scenes in a row, folks. That is not good. 
Um, where do we go from here? Okay. Lieutenant Frakes. He's a good guy. He's charming. That's his trait, as he's charming. And um, I think he he eventually takes pity on Wynne. He doesn't know that she's, you know, um, telling Great and all this stuff. Not that it's, like, top secret, you know, but it's not really her place to, to share this information. You know, this is, this is the kind of stuff that captains or uh, first officers generally would, you know... <laughs> be uh talking about but she's she's sort of spilling the beans but i think uh frakes you know just more it's more like he 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 would be inclined to take pity so let's let's find out does frakes take pity on win we'll call it probable and that is a yes so after you know 15 minutes or so he um he sort of saunters over throws his leg over the back of a chair sits down you know, the chair facing backwards. And, uh, and he says, um, he says, well, you two kids are certainly, uh, talking up a storm over here. And, uh, you know, they both sort of clam up and, uh, and Frake says, um, uh, say when, why don't we, um, why don't we head on over to, um, to the medical bay I'm um, I'm giving you know I, I'm using this opportunity to just run some uh, some routine checkups on the crew um, after our our last venture and he kind of gives her a little wink and she nods oh right right yeah you mentioned that earlier and so she uh, perhaps suddenly realizing the breadth of uh, information she just spontaneously spewed forth. Um, for an eager Graydon to um, absorb, uh, she excuses herself. And um, let's see, what is uh, Frakes is a is a lieutenant as well. Oh, okay. So he and Graydon uh, equal ranks. Interesting. Uh, but they, you know, salutes all around, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and uh, and so soon, Frakes and Win are. Harrison and Wynne are uh, walking down one of the corridors in uh, Deep Space 4 and he says um, he says uh, seemed like you were just kind of babbling away there so um, it didn't seem like you were very comfortable around him, not that I blame you at all and, uh, and Wynne says yeah, no I um, I mean like I said, I, I don't really know how I feel about what happened and where I stand with him now. And um, I think that brings up an interesting question in terms of their backstory. Uh, were Wynn and Piers romantically involved? We're going to call it 50-50. And the answer is yes, of course. Nothing quite ruins a relationship like accidentally detonating a model warp core right under your girlfriend and nearly killing her. And so, um, and so, 
Frakes chuckles in his charming sort of way, and he says, uh, he says, I, I suspected something like that. And Wynn says, like what? You know, he says, come on, it's obvious. You two were an item. She says, uh, well, yeah, but, um, that was a long time ago. And, um, since then I've sort of devoted myself to Starfleet. And, uh, Frake says, well, that's a, a real loss for a lot of, uh, a lot of folks, I'm sure. So there's some flirting going on right here, which is what exactly what we wanted. And um, so I'm going to give Win a roll of daring plus command. I mean, I really feel like command is is sort of the interpersonal um, discipline because con is for your sort of piloting roles. Security is for kicking. Uh, kicking ass and taking names. Engineering, obviously, is for engineering. Science is for your sort of sciencey, deductive problems. Medicine is to, you know, do medicine. So command is like, yeah, that's kind of your personality discipline there. So I'll definitely be boosting that in my next milestone. But we'll do daring plus command. Now, Wynn does have a focus of empathy, so um, if I roll a two or less on one of these dice, uh, instead I generated a threat, so there's that, um, but I did also succeed. So I love this, actually, this is like such a classic beat, you know, because like Wynn kind of gives Frakes a, a little smile, you know, a little coy smile, like, are you flirting with me? And then we're going to roll on the threat matrix. <laughs> red alert, red alert. <laughs> Starbase is under attack. Um, no, we'll find out here. Hopefully it won't be quite that dramatic. We've got to, we've got to move the story on. We, we haven't even gotten to the core mission yet. The ship's been all shot to shit in a, uh, you know, harrowing vision of its future fate. And, um, <laughs> and then uh, we've had some character building moments, which I have to say has been very satisfying. Even, even with the awkward uh, talking to myself dialogue stuff. Um, but let's see what this threat is. Eight. Psionic incident. Not psionics again. Oh, man. Mind swap. Trapped in a dream. <laughs> Many of the most challenging complications occur within the mindscape. Roll on the table below to determine what type, kind of psionic obstacles arise during your mission. What the hell, psionics? Flashbacks. Oh, shit. Oh, my God. Oh, I love that. That's perfect. Okay. So I think one of the reasons why Wynne has studiously avoided any romantic entanglements in the three years since her accident has been because she... Uh, kind of, yeah, created this sort of somatic association between, um, you know, romantic feelings and that incident. Um, 
you know, I, uh, you know, she had characterized Graydon as having been up all night the night before. Well, maybe she was too. You know, maybe, uh, maybe they weren't even in a relationship. Maybe they they had had kind of a lot of uh, romantic tension throughout their time in the academy, and the night before the accident had been the night that they'd finally you know, declared their feelings for each other, perhaps consummated their relationship, you know, at least taken it to some new exciting level. They'd been out all night. And then it's like, oh, right, we've got our warp engineering finals, (laughs) you know, and then, you know, and there was just kind of like, especially, you know, for a younger person, a lot of times you get that kind of causality kind of mindset. It's like, well, I did this, and so this happened. And so if I do A, B will happen again, you know. Um, so, yeah, so I think I think Wynn is starting to feel some feelings for Lieutenant Harrison Frakes. And suddenly she's overwhelmed by... Um, what's essentially an anxiety attack or a panic attack she she kind of smiles up at him and then suddenly she she kind of has to stop she braces herself against the wall she begins to sweat and uh lieutenant frakes leans in and he says uh when when are you okay and she's like yeah i'll be okay i'm all right he's like no you're not okay i'm getting you to sick bay right now you know and he kind of puts her arm around his shoulder and, and just kind of helps her walk along as she's like getting increasingly um, panic-stricken, and he's kind of talking her through it, and he, he says, you know, just, you know, try to breathe, try to take some deep breaths, and then, you know, eventually she just, like, kind of slips down against the wall, and he has to just stop. He gets on his communicator, he says, um, can I get, can I get a medical team from sick bay to, uh, level, you know, uh, 2C, uh, you know, I, I have a, a sick patient here, and then he, uh, you know, gets out his little tricorder, and he starts, taking some basic readings and he's still like kind of you know just doing some some psychological triage like all right when stay with me stay with me come on now you know and um let's let's give her a control plus command uh or let's do presence plus command no control with self-discipline right so we'll do control plus command again one of her worst roles or should it be insight plus command, which is actually an even worse role, <laughs> because I love to punish myself. Um, but yeah, I mean, maybe this is maybe she just needs to have some uh, insight here. She needs to kind of, um, you know, understand what's going on so that she can maybe try and, and uh, collect herself a little bit here. Uh, insight defines characters by their instincts and their perceptiveness. Insightful characters often have a good sense of the moods and feelings of others, but have also learned to trust their own feelings when it comes to the decisions they make and the problems they are confronted with. Yes, let's do insight. Plus command, that is Wynn's absolute worst role, a ten or less. Come on, baby. Nope, that is a fail. Wow. So I think um, despite Frakes' best efforts, you know, Wynn's vision begins to like kind of narrow into like a dark tunnel and his voice is like very far away. And then she's just only vaguely aware of, uh, of everything that's going on around her until, you know, she's like being transported on a gurney to, the, to sick bay. And, um, 
And that is our fourth failed scene. So I need to start succeeding on some freaking rolls here. Because <laughs> uh, I really want to earn a milestone this, this time around. Um, I feel like I didn't give myself a milestone last time, incidentally. Um, yeah. I know I definitely did one after the first mission. I'll have to go back and review. I don't think I did give myself, because just as a, as a refresher, I decided if you get more successes than fails, then that's a milestone, and you can, you can do something with that. So what I might do, I like all my focuses at the moment. Um, you know, maybe I'll just, maybe I'll boost, um, one of my attributes or disciplines that I haven't really used so far this adventure. And, um, yeah, why don't we just do that? I'm actually, I'm 90% sure I didn't do a milestone last time. So I'll just boost my fitness. I haven't used that. So that's now a 10. Okay. Anyway, I really want to get a milestone now though, so I can raise my command. Gotta get that up to three. Anyways, okay, so, you know, of course, with just, you know, less than an hour in sick bay, and really probably didn't even need the, need more than 15 minutes, but, you know, um, after about an hour in sick bay, when is discharged, feeling a bit chagrined, but, um, you know, is able to, to quickly leave that behind as, um, as the crew is uh, recalled to the bridge on Kyushu um, so that they can find out these, uh, these new orders they've been given. And, uh, and so, yeah, I think we'll just, we'll just cut to uh, scene five. We are, um, you know, flying away from Deep Space Four. And, um, we're going to be, you know, coming up on the on the alien ship, you know. Wynn is uh, back at the navigator's helm and, um, you know, operating the sensors, I think, the sensor array. And that will be with Kyushu approaching this strange city ship. And... Uh, I think that means it's about time to start generating the details of this thing. So let's kick it off first, though, with a scan. Once again, we'll leave it up to win. And uh, let's see here. How about, uh, let's see, reason plus science, I think, would be appropriate. Oh, no, actually, again, you know, we're doing the ships. So I feel like a lot of the times... The ship kind of takes takes precedence, doesn't it? Um, so we have the sensor, yeah, we have the sensor attribute for the ship. Um, plus, oh, but we have the high resolution sensors, right? Good. So um, fourteen or less. If I roll a four or less on either die, that will trigger a uh, talent focus. And oh, so close, so close. I rolled a five. But I did roll two successes, so that does generate a momentum. And um, I'll have to think about... 
I think I'll probably cash that in for an advantage, but this will probably just be a roll to see what kind of uh, what kind of advantage it is. So, yeah, let's go to the advantage table. Uh, let's see here. So that is. Seven. Helpful species, contemporaries. Species arrives with capabilities similar to your own and offers insight or technical assistance into the situation. Well, that is really cool because that gives me an immediate idea of who exactly is on board this um, this city ship. Um, but that does mean I'm going to have to generate the details of who's on this ship. All right, let's roll up some details on this city ship. Who are the life forms aboard the ship? Uh, what is their society like? So forth. You know. Um, what should we do first? So what we know is that they are they are equals to the Federation. Um, so we don't need to like worry about their technological development level. They are, they're at space level for that, which according to the guidelines here under designing a civilization means there's several billion of them. I think that's um, probably a little high for a city ship, but um, we could definitely say there's, um, you know, tens of millions, possibly hundreds of millions. Um... Okay. Governance. Strange. Oh. I wonder if I'm supposed to roll for each one. Oh, I think I, I think that's it. Okay, so technological development level is space. That's automatic. Okay, so let's roll for planetary population next. Okay, that's fine. Millions. All right, so we've got the city ship. Oh, let me write this on the correct sheet of paper here okay all right so we got the city ship and it's got millions of people on it okay it's governance it's governance 10 transitional theocracy monarchy or dictatorship okay That's very, uh, yeah, very kind of TOS, I feel like. Um, so we'll just say, yeah, theocracy, monarchy, dictatorship. Okay. Planet modifiers, we don't worry about that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. So types of governments. Um, now that you've created a world and an interesting civilization, use the following information to add more detail uh, about their type of government your character may encounter. Any attempt to make a document that summarizes differing forms of government, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Um, hmm. Well, yeah. Let's, let's just see here. There's, um, there's some odd things on here. Yeah, see, I just rolled this and I got anarchy. And yet we also had theocracy, monarchy, or dictatorship. 
A dictatorship of the proletariat, comrade? Eh? Eh? No. Um, however, if we have an anarchy situation with like a titular, uh, like a figurehead, uh, either a monarch or like a pontiff or something, that might be interesting. Okay, groupings of polities. When multiple polities come together to form a larger whole, there are a few overall types of governance. Well, I don't think we really have to worry about that. Types of religion. All right, polytheism, cool, cool. Um, each world encountered has its own unique philosophies, religions based on millennia of social adaptation. Here we only have space to broadly categorize some. And then types of societies. Well, um, this one I don't think I'm going to roll on because warp capable is one of the outcomes and it goes all the way down to like pastoral or horticultural, agricultural, industrial, post-industrial, you know. No, no. We, we know they're warp capable. It's fine. So I'll just make a note of that warp capable. What do they have to offer? Ah, yes. Now, this was the thing, right? They're they're friendly. They're a friendly civilization. Let's see, just to review, uh, helpful species contemporaries, and then there was helpful species advanced as if I had rolled an 8. So, uh, so it is similar. It says a species with capability similar to your own offers insight or technical assistance into the situation. Okay. And uh, that, of course, is um, is going to be the big question I have for Act 2, um, which is uh, specifically, specifically, um, the, um, the incident was research and transform. I, you know, I got to roll twice, research and transform. So the question I have for Act 2 is, um, who's researching whom? Who is transforming whom? Is it, uh, is it a two-way street? Is one, is Federation trying to do one thing and these guys trying to do the other? Is it all on one side or the other? You know, so that's a question I have, but let's see what they have to offer. A12. Flora or fauna? Okay. Hmm. Okay, that's interesting. Um, it could be something like an extinct species. You know, a species that used to live on Earth that's now extinct. It could be, of course, the, I think the first thing that leapt to mind, actually, for me was, um, especially on the flora side of things, that maybe it is uh, a particular, you know, heretofore unknown alien plant species that can be synthesized and um, utilized for maybe some kind of, um, you know, new cure. I mean, I know... Star Trek medicine is pretty pretty advanced as it is, but you know, there's still like 
there are still like diseases and other like maladies that are at best challenging to Star Trek level medicine and at worst uh, maybe even you know baffling to Star Trek level medicine so maybe if there's like yeah some kind of alien plant that can be synthesized to like treat I don't know Grafman syndrome or whatever <laughs> you know um, that's that's certainly something worth considering um, okay so let's figure out a few other things then just want to know a few things about these life forms all right so first we're gonna roll up their origins carbon-based thank God <laughs> I was worried we we're gonna get more floating jellyfish although I still have to roll for their symmetry so we'll see <laughs> the tables are heavily weighted towards carbon-based and bilateral just FYI and we barely got bilateral you need a 10 or less roll to 10 very good all right but it's still weird because there's a carbon-based life table so there's only a 20% chance these are animals <laughs> so let's see what we get oh there we go 17 protists protists carbon-based protists I uh Hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, as you do. Let's see here. I mean, I guess protists are, are technically carbon-based. Um, yeah. Protists, uh, here's your science lesson for the day, kids. Protists are simple eukaryotic organisms that are neither plants nor animals or fungi. Protists are unicellular in nature, but can also be found as a colony of cells. Most protists live in water, deep terrestrial environments, or even as parasites. Okay, some examples would be amoebas, paramecians, and um, other things that only science nerds like Rainy have heard of. Okay. Um, hi, Rainy. So... Let's see. Protists have nuclear membranes around their DNA. They have other membrane-bound organelles. Many protests live, protests, protists live in aquatic habitats. Most are motile. Protists have complex life cycles that may include both sexual and asexual reproduction. Okay. So like, um, uh, sentient amoebas, I guess. <laughs> Bilateral. They are bilateral. <laughs> um, interesting. Interesting. I mean, that's gross. That's uh, <laughs> it's, it's it's freaking me out a little bit. I'll be okay. I'll be fine. Um, yeah. But no, I I want to I want to think about this a little bit. Um, yeah, interesting. And I'm, I'm kind of Googling sci-fi sentient amoebas. Um, you know, what was the first sci-fi work that had an intelligent virus or bacterium? 
there have been, what does it say? There have been a number of comic book characters, e.g. Sublime, Sublime, Hlavik, Despotelis, television versions, e.g. the Black Oil from X-Files, the Sentient Virus, and Farscape. There was one in Doctor Who, annual story from 1971. What was the earliest? Last and First Men by the mighty Olaf Stapledon, published in 1930, as Martians described as a virus-like dissociated group mind. Hmm, interesting. 1931, The Beautiful Bacillus by Patrick Dutton as a bacterium that transforms into an intelligent, communicating life form with a sense of humor. Okay, okay, yeah. How fascinating, how bizarre. Um, so, I mean, it, you know, it said they have, you know, what they have to offer is flora and fauna. I mean, they're kind of both, you know? Um... Yeah. Hmm. Let me uh, let me give that some thought, and I think this is a great opportunity, again, to kind of throw it out there uh, to the general um, general public. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah, much 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 to my chagrin, I it's it's pretty obvious here that um, I am going to have to pause and give this some thought. But, um, you know, we set this up for Act 2, so that's fine. And, um, and yeah, I think I'll, I'll give some thought as to, like, who these amoeboids are, why they're heading towards Earth, um, and um, they are friendly. We have to remember that, too. So... Yeah, like what? What is the crew of the Kyushu gonna do in terms of interacting with with these guys? I do. I do kind of like the idea that maybe um, maybe they this this uh, civilization. So it's a city ship <laughs> in the sense that it's like a colony of of sentient protists, right? Um, what is it? Is it the slime mold that I'm thinking of that can like? go through these different life cycle stages depending on the environment and so like it can it's like a colony of mold that can come together and like form like into a slug-like creature basically it's pretty disgusting uh (laughs) life in all its amazing varieties um but yeah something like that I, i think I'm thinking now, like, the, the vision I'm getting for this this thing is, like, yeah, it's just this, like, giant, giant uh, colony of, like, sentient amoebas. And maybe, yeah, they can, they can either come together to create a, a sort of humanoid form in order to communicate more effectively. Um, something along those lines. It's actually a fascinating bookend to the Borg, right? Very similar kind of like communal hive mind kind of vibe here, but in this case, they're friendly. So that might set up some conflict, especially for the crew of the Kyushu, who is still more than a little bit shaken by what they witnessed at Omega-10 and also their 
chilling vision of, uh, of the, the doom that lays upon their ship. So, um, I think that gives us a lot to work with, but I do have to just kind of sit and sit with this and think about it a little bit more. And, uh, and again, as always, uh, hop on our Discord or leave a comment uh, to this post on Podbean. And uh, if you have any thoughts uh, or recommendations, any like um, stories or episodes of the show that I, you know, I might want to check out, sources of inspiration, I will mercilessly rip off anything. Um, you know, originality is overrated, as I've said before. And uh, yeah, I will happily bring in elements from other sci-fi franchises. I don't care. <laughs> All right, so I think that just leaves our. Um, we'll do a we'll do a um, act break, a second act supplemental. No, no, I'll save that for next time. I'll save the second act supplemental for next time. So, until next time, folks. We are jumping to warp speed. No, I still need to come up with a clever sign off. Bye bye.